Hello and welcome to this episode of The Gaming Podcast, the official podcast of Gaming Magazine. You can check out more from Gaming Magazine by visiting GamingMag.com, that's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G Mag.com. And remember, new episodes of this very podcast come out every two weeks. If you're new, welcome. Please click subscribe so you don't miss another episode. It's LGBTQ History Month. Uh, We've just started into October. Uh, It's a time for us to look back and look forward. We've got some great historical things to talk about today, including the birth of an icon, the coming of a new streaming age, and gaming magazine making our own LGBTQ history. So to talk about all of this, I'm very happy to be joined by Ed Nightingale. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, Robin. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. It's it's raining outside, it's cold, but we're stuck indoors with a cup of tea and uh, plenty of games to play and talk about. So I'm excited. Exactly. Yes, that's the most British answer I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> raining and tea, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we kick off, um, what have you been? What have you been playing recently? Um, I have been getting stuck into Hades, as has. Everyone on Twitter, apparently. Um, (laughs) It's it's just come out of early access on PC, and it's available on Switch, which is where I've been playing it. And it's it's pretty incredible. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year, I think. And I'm not not the biggest fan of roguelikes. Um, The whole dying, going back to the beginning, repetitive thing can get very frustrating. But what's great is that there are so many collectibles and things to level up that... Even if you die early in a run, you haven't wasted it. So there's always things to to improve and you always feel like you're achieving something in it, which is great. And also everyone is really hot. Um, Like just all the characters, it is literally sexy as hell. So yeah, definitely go and play it. What more does one need in a game than sexy characters? Exactly. Uh, Now I've heard good things. It's It's not actually made it onto my Switch just yet. Um, but it's certainly a game that has sort of taken the world by storm. Um, and I believe it has some very, very good uh, LGBT content and romance options. Uh, so that is always good for us. Absolutely. Um, I've been playing Mafia, um, which is not exactly renowned for its LGBT content. <laughs> um, but the, re- um, the, the redone trilogy has just come out, obviously, from 2K. So uh, there was Mafia 2 that came out first. Then there was the 3 redo that Shay and I talked about a few a few episodes ago now. Yes, um, I remember that. About it's, it's quite troublesome yes. uh, language use uh, to try and depict modern day. Well, not modern day. To try and, well, well, okay. <laughs> a so reflection hopefully, of modern day. <laughs> hopefully not predict modern day. Uh, depends if Trump wins the election, I suppose. Um, and... And yeah, that, that, to to uh, show so like 1960s is what I meant. But this is this is the first Mafia game. This is Mafia One, and this is the complete, complete, complete rebuild. Uh, the other two were just kind of like HDifying the game, the the original game. But this yes. is like actual re rebuilding the the game from scratch, and it's really good. I mean, I, I do enjoy the Mafia games. I'm I'm a sucker for the kind of open world stuff anyway. So uh, Grand Theft Auto Mafia um is is right up my street so thank you 2k for for that Um, does it still feel quite archaic or is it quite nicely updated no it's been it's been really well updated the 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 engine's much better the mechanics much better i remember playing mafia 2 when it first came out and i was i just got so frustrated because they just couldn't get the 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 shooting mechanic and stuff was terrible and i was kind of looking forward to it and i kind of hoped that they'd uh 
they'd revisit it when they did their upgrade. Um, but it, it wasn't much better. I think they spent more time on the um, the, the the graphics of, of of Mafia Two as opposed to the engine because that was still a bit crap. But no, this this one definitely um, from the sort of the limited playthrough I've had already, uh, it's actually really good. Nice. I might have to go and check it out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's available on platforms where it's available. Um, I didn't do my homework on that, so apologies for that. Um, let's start by talking about some exciting news of our own. I mentioned it's LGBTQ History Month. Um, it sort of is, um, and I always get this the wrong way around. So in the UK, it's LGBTQ History Month um, in February... Oh, and in February in the US it's Black History Month, whereas in the UK October is Black History Month, and in the US it's LGBT History Month. Sounds about I don't right. know. Yeah, it sounds about right. I, I I don't know why we have to swap these things over. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's a, maybe it's like sort of custody or something. Um, but at least what we would call globally, it's LGBTQ History Month, and Gaming Magazine, I think, as as a lot of people now are aware, we are making our own history right now um because we have the very first uh video game lgbt video game awards coming up in february the gaming awards uh which i'm super excited about um yeah uh, it's more than just a sort of standard uh video game award show of just giving one award to the token gay game um this is an actual award show nine categories uh really great diverse uh content good nominations and i'm talking about nominations the nominations are actually open as we speak uh for for three of those categories which is best lgbtq indie game best lgbtq streamer and the industry diversity award these close the nominations close on the 30th of october so you've got a month basically head on over to gaming awards yeah gaming awards.com g-a-y-m-i-n-g awards.com and you can click the link and go and figure out the Google form uh, to do your nominations. Um, the rest of the categories, um, just to really quickly finish that one off, the rest of the categories um, are Game of the Year, Authentic Representation Award, Best LGBTQ Character, Best LGBTQ Narrative. Um, I mentioned the Indie Game Streamer and Industry Diversity Award. Uh, and we're also giving a special recognition award um, out and the Gaming Magazine Readers Award as well, which is a, a one of my favorite ones because we're going to ask all of the writers that have contributed this past year uh, to gaming to basically put their little shortlist together and we'll come up with a master shortlist of, of who they re- they think is the game of the year and then uh, we will ask the readers to have their vote so that is a public vote same as the industry same as the uh, streamer award is a public vote as well yeah, lots of power in our hands. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Industry Diversity Award, what's the criteria for that? The Industry Diversity Award, um, it's, re- it's a really good one because um, a lot of what we're doing here is celebrating the games themselves, but the Industry Diversity Award um, is acknowledging that greater diversity in the games industry makes for greater diversity in games. I think a diverse industry makes diverse games. I, I believe that's that's a sort of strong thing. So... This award is basically there to celebrate the organization, uh, be that studio publisher or whoever, um, who has done a significant amount of work in promoting, developing and championing diversity in their company. So 
the word diversity in this sense obviously being lgbt um that's great but it doesn't have to be it just needs to be someone an, an organization that's really sort of going above and beyond in terms of championing or, or actually starting out even maybe they're starting out on their diversity journey but they've done some amazing work in this past year um so it really is down to the world uh to sort of tell us about all of that um and then our our judging panel um will will make some decisions excellent yeah definitely that's a that's a super important award you know it's not just about the games it's about the industry as well and the people in it absolutely i mean on, on a day like today where we have the, the the news of cyberpunk coming out saying that they're now in implementing a mandatory six-day crunch um to get the game made um i think that is disappointing um unfortunately quite predictable um and i just feel like this this is I, I, I don't know. I've, I've always had this kind of feeling that games are going to get to a point now where people want to know that their game that they're playing has been made ethically. People want to know that it's been made to a standard and people haven't been, lit, not literally, but almost flogged to death over it. I, I do feel like that is the, the world we're starting to get into. So I think we need to celebrate diversity and the efforts that companies are making. Definitely. Absolutely agree um what else what else oh yeah so um i'm i'm happy actually to stand here stand sit however we're doing <laughs> this lie down and recline on a chaise longue right. and talk about our sponsors we've got some amazing sponsors lined up for this one um this is a first raft of sponsors there are still some sponsors to be announced so um i can already say that the industry diversity award is being sponsored by square enix um and we are welcoming uh, green man gaming uh, to sponsor our Authentic Representation Award. Uh, we have two sponsors uh, that are supporter sponsors, and that is Creative Assembly and Jagex. Uh, and I believe it's such a big statement to to back our awards, to really push forward with this amazing sort of pledge that they're doing with diversity. And it, and it plays a lot into um, Yuki, uh, so the United Kingdom Interactive Trade Body, uh, for those who don't know what Yuki is. Um, they launched uh, earlier this year um, their Raise the Game pledge, which is, again, it, it coming back to what we we're talking about, about increasing diversity and, and really taking diversity and, and representation seriously in games and producing good games as a result of that. I think it's a great way of them making a statement and really supporting not only us, but also supporting the pledge and, and, and Yuki in general with, with, uh, with this. I'm, I'm really excited to have them. Yeah, some huge names there. And that's that's amazing that, you know, they're all on board with supporting diversity and supporting gaming mag. That's uh Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible and, and news. Yeah. I'm 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 really, really happy that we've got such a great caliber um of sponsors. And I I think it's a big statement. I think it's a big statement not only as an industry, but I think it's a big statement to the players. It's 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 a serious statement of intent to the player base to say to the to the LGBTs player space, I should say, to say, hey, we're here, we got you, um, and I think that's a really really positive thing. Um, we have more sponsors to be revealed uh, in the next few weeks, um, and there are some more big names. Um, it's it's not that's not it. There's a lot more to come. <laughs> wow. um, and tune in in February with a date to be revealed. Uh, I've got to be careful with that one, otherwise my PR company's going to jump down my neck and, and rip, rip this microphone away from me straight away. Uh, tune in February, we'll, we'll give you the details of exactly how to do that. Um, but it's being 
an amazing night, a good two-hour show uh, to sort of settle into in February. And it's been hosted by the wonderful Susie Ruffle, uh, who is a fantastic queer comedian from Britain uh, that's been on some good TV shows over here, uh, including that wonderful uh, video game panel show, Go 8-Bit. Very nice. With uh, Dara Breen on Dave. Uh, Dave, by the way, this sounds the most British conversation I've ever had, and I apologise. So Dave is not just someone called Dave. Uh, in the UK, it's actually a TV channel. We just call it Dave. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's better. Than, it's better than its old name, which was UK TV G G Two. Um, yeah, so Dave, Dave is much more simple. Yeah, I'm. I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm good with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> we love Dave. So cool. Uh, gaming awards categories uh, are available for nomination. Are those three um, best indie game, best LGBTQ streamer, industry diversity award? Get over to gamingawards.com. Get some nominations in, particularly the streamer one. I really want to sort of keep pushing that. Um, there are so many, I mean, Ed, obviously, with your fantastic streaming column, um, there are fantastic streamers out there that deserve this. And and we can talk forever about why uh, streamers, particularly LGBT streamers, are so important because of the way they gather a community around them. Um, I, I feel that's a really important one. Yeah, like there's um, there's such a big community of LGBT, uh, LGBT people on Twitch and streamers and... Like you say, they do a great job of really bringing people together. Um, it's not just about watching people playing games and being entertaining, which a lot of people are, and that's to be congratulated, um, but people doing some really great work um, to create those safe spaces and create that community um, alongside the entertainment. So, yeah, please have a read of the Streamer Spotlight column. Uh, it might give you some ideas, but they are not the sole uh, nominees. So if you've got other ideas, then please get voting we'd love to hear absolutely. more absolutely uh moving on it's been 25 years this week since playstation launched their first console way back in september 1995 uh, i was 10 at the time uh, and the playstation was my first proper games console um so i feel like a bit of a sort of a playstation baby really uh, j just don't tell it that i jumped over to xbox for the last few consoles <laughs> <laughs> i did playstation playstation 2 uh playstation 3 but also then xbox 360 and then i stayed with xbox for xbox one um but rejoice because as i revealed in the last podcast i'm going back to playstation 5 um, with, with my smug pre-order that i've got um <laughs> i you're not a playstation baby are you um so i was eight in 1995 um so i was still very busy playing sonic on the mega drive at that point uh, rather than PS1. So I, I remember being aware of it, but I mean, my, my first memory of it was probably seeing Final Fantasy VIII in game, as in the shop game, hmm. um, when that had just come out and they were showing the, the opening FMV uh, in the store of, of Squall and uh, Cypher fighting and Renoa in the field of, field of flowers. And it completely blew my mind. I was I I'd moved to Nintendo by that point, and I was an N sixty four kid, um, busy playing Mario and Zelda, which I still <laughs> love. But you know, seeing this really cinematic, mature, serious kind of cutscene and of something out of Japan, it was just the most amazing thing to me. Um, but I didn't get into PlayStation really until PS two, and since then I've stuck with them, and I've gone back and played PS one games. 
Um, but originally it passed me by a little bit, I'm sad to say. I think, yeah, it's uh, when it first came out, I think it was always... We'd obviously lived through an age of having, uh, as you say, Nintendo and Sega and whatever else. So it was obviously coming out of Japan was a really strong thing. And it, it was only really when Microsoft came out with their 360 that it did... Be, or, uh, sorry, the, the original Xbox, when it became more westernized but I, I i think playstation was an interesting it felt like the first step out into a world that was obviously with discs and cds and, and dvds and whatever else now I, I really do think it was kind of like the start of a a more serious res- revolution in some ways for gaming um i think yeah you're right that up to that point it had obviously been with the the snares and nares and uh mega drive and um much more sort of eight, eight and 16, 32 bits. And I think that the PlayStation was a real first big step out into the bigger world of more serious gameplay. And I, I think, yeah, it's, I, I thought it would be fun for us to sort of reminisce a bit about some of our highlights over a quarter of a century of PlayStation. <laughs> um, so not just obviously from PlayStation one, it can be, it can be any from any point in the PlayStation history. Ah, okay. Most, most of mine are going to be from PlayStation one and two, because at that point, obviously, like I say, I, I, I jumped ship, um over to over to xbox but i'm i'm kicking off uh with metal gear solid um the game that i loved but i was appalling at um (laughs) that game is super hard it's ridiculous it's genuinely ridiculous (laughs) but i uh, to this day i will never ever forget the whole sort of unique concept of way of having to beat one of the bosses uh, if you had to take your memory card out of one slot and you had to put it into another slot and then he couldn't see you um Obviously, Metal Gear Solid is, is is built around the concept of stealth, and my way of playing stealth is shit. I just <laughs> I can't do stealth to save my life. E- even some of the the sort of the new uh, Spider Man stuff where you have to do sneaky sneaky. I'm terror. I get bored. I just drop down and kill everyone because my theory of stealth is if, if there's no one alive to tell the story, then it's still stealth. You're not revealed because everyone's dead. Well, true, but is is good stealth not killing anyone? I mean, I'm sure Hitman would hey, tell you it's that. Debatable. <laughs> it's debatable. Um, so yeah, Metal Gear Solid was my, was one of my absolute favourites. I, 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 to this day, I can still think of that sort of like sound of when you get discovered. That sort of like brink yep. with with the 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 um, uh, apostrophe exclamation point yep. um, over over your head and everything else and and sneaking around in cardboard boxes was always hilarious of course I um, love as well the whole uh, oh it's on the back of the package and it's actually the, the codec yes. number you need is literally on the back of the box yeah. and I think that confused yeah. so many people it was I, I, you don't get that these days do you it's all bloody DLCs and loot boxes and whatever else but actual good old <laughs> good old fashioned kind of clues of an of a real sort of game and of course this is pre-internet age well not exactly pre-internet but pre-popular internet pre-social media bastards age um in in a way that it was genuinely a puzzle and there was no there was no quick way of being able to sort of search it up on your phone and go oh it's that board um it's it was a it was a real puzzler and it was the kind of first game or two that really did challenge you to to sort of dig deep into that sort of knowledge bank and, and really figure out that and you felt reading like the playstation magazine and you reading kind of sort of like uh these sort of friends who heard from friends who heard from friends it was just kind of real oh you have to do this you have to do that and here's a cheat and that sort of thing yeah i think as well kojima loves to break the fourth wall um and there are so many as, as we've mentioned so many little clever moments not just in that game but in in his previous ones and i think that's something you never would have seen in 
previous consoles, you know, we talk about it being more more serious and more mature and more interesting. Mm. And, you know, previous consoles just had a game as a product and it just was its own thing. And suddenly it's it's coming out at you and, and linking to other things. And that's something that we just never seen before until then. Yeah, it's incredibly self-referential. And I think you're right. It's up until that point game was just a game that you put a cartridge in you played you did a few laps of mario kart or whatever and that was that um whereas this is yeah there were layers to this and it was very much the first one you'll tell me otherwise i'm sure but i i feel like it was one of the first games that actually had proper cinematics as well um and, and really tried to weave in a story i mean you're testing my knowledge there i think it was definitely considered one of the most cinematic games at the time mm. for sure um I mean, my my pick of favorite PS1 game would be Final Fantasy VII, which I think similarly, you know, was was pushing the boundaries of cinematics at the time. The fact that it was doing FMVs, which had never been done before, I don't think, um, or at least, you know, not on home consoles. Um, so that definitely had that more cinematic edge to it. And I think so many PlayStation 1 games had that to them. Um, I mean, I confess, I didn't play Final Fantasy VII on ps1 i actually played it on pc um the dirty word i know sorry uh, <laughs> we uh because i had an n64 i wasn't allowed a playstation one as well so i had to play it on pc and i actually borrowed it off a friend from school and about a month later he left school and i never saw him again and i still to this day have his copy of final Seven on pc <laughs> do you remember his name <laughs> i think his name was andy so Andy, if, Andy, there, if you sorry, went to school with yeah, it's it's mine now. You're not getting it back. <laughs> if you if you went to school with Ed Nightingale, <laughs> um, send send us a postcard. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm sure you know if you played it on PS1, it would have worked beautifully. And yet for me on PC, it kept crashing. It was it ran terribly. I remember getting to the final boss after months of play, and was winning, was about to do it, and the game crashed. And anyone who's played the ending will know there's quite a long dungeon and a lot of different forms of that final boss. And I just thought, I cannot be bothered to <laughs> to play this again. And it wasn't until I downloaded it on PS3 that I finally went back and finally finished that game. And it's it's still, it's my favorite PlayStation game and it's probably one of my favorite ever. Yeah, and we, we've spoken about this, obviously. I say we, you've spoken about this at length on <laughs> various podcasts. Um, uh, briefly, uh, are, are you are you glad about the remake? Are you happy for the remake? Or did you feel like a little bit of your childhood was taken away when it came out? Um, I'm happy about it. I very much see it as a separate game. Um, mm. I like that it has taken, I was going to say what we saw in our childhood. I mean, I was a little older by that point, but you know, takes what we what we knew at the time and really updates it. You know, I spent a long time just looking upwards and moving the camera because that's something you could never do in the original, mm. um, you know, with static screens. And uh, being able to just look around and see this world fully realized in the way that we always imagined um, was really incredible. Um, the ending is an interesting one. Um, anyone who's played it will, will I'm sure, agree. Um, so I won't go into that here, but it, it definitely changes things up. And if anything, playing that made me want to play the original again, 
because I recognize it's it's its own thing. And if you like the original, it's not going anywhere. It's still there. You can still play it. Um, and this is a new take on that story. And that's that's exciting to see where that could go. It's just we might have to wait a couple of decades for episode <laughs> 24 uh, to actually get there. Yeah. I, I think it had like two things. I, I think the first thing was, as you say, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a carbon copy. It wasn't just a redo of the old one. It actually was something that I would describe as a new game, but just had kind of that Final Fantasy VII-esque story basis. And and it took took its cues from that. Um, So it was definitely a remake rather than a remaster. Yes. Um, And I think the second one is, it's just a sign of our times, isn't it? That you can't have one bloody game as a game. You have to have it in chapters and you have to have it with extra things you have to pay for. Um, but again, I guess that's just them uh, exploring that world a little bit more. And hey, if, if you love that world, then why not explore it a bit more? Absolutely. Um, also for me on the list, uh, I think we're jumping forward despite to... to oh, I just said it. Never mind. Also on that list <laughs> uh, is PlayStation. I think it's PlayStation 2 um, was the OG Spider-Man game. Um which for anyone who plays the current Spider-Man game, it owes an awful lot to that PlayStation, that first PlayStation Spider-Man game because yes. it's really, really good. And everyone can't. It, it, was a, it was an age where not many people could do a good superhero game. Um, yet, the play, yet this PlayStation uh, Spider-Man one was absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's all the sort of, the, the main ability to sort of capture a lot of the Spider-Man mechanics uh, in, a, in a very easy to use kind of way uh, it was a fantastic I love playing that as a kid and I think it, it, like I say I'm, I'm super excited not only obviously the current the current uh, PlayStation 4 Spider-Man game but also the course the new PlayStation 5 uh, Miles Morales um, is it a standalone game it's it's a sort it of an is. extent it's an it's yeah. a standalone game but we're using an awful lot of the engine don't ask us questions about it um <laughs> I'm super looking forward to that because that looks amazing. But no, oh, the yeah. OG Spider-Man game was really, really good. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm also very excited about Miles Morales. You know, it's again, it's a tick for diversity, but it looks like a really interesting new take on the character. And, um, you know, the, the, the PS4 one was a great, solid grounding for a series. So mm. I'm very excited to see where that continues to go and, and shows how integral Spider-Man has been to PlayStation over the years. Absolutely. I mean, and and... It was obviously sort of the a good reason why having a, a company as large as and as as broad as Sony, um, if you own a film right, you can also make the game for that as well. And I think there's it's your brand, and it it shows a lot more that in this one that I think that they really do feel that Spider-Man is Sony's property, and I think they've looked after Spider-Man a lot better in video games than a lot of the other. Um, a lot of the other superheroes car- uh, car- yeah thank you sorry brain went a complete brain fart on the word character um because i can't really think of a i was about to say i can't really think of a good batman game of course i can the new ones from rocksteady but up until recently i can't think of many good batman games um that weren't sort of either completely overhashed for commercial value or or done poorly to start off with obviously the new ones are absolutely stunning um yeah. tomb raider 2 because everyone knows that Tomb Raider 1 was awful. So Tomb Raider 2 is the oh. one where they actually... Yes, it How was. How dare you? No, it was. You can't sit there and say that. That T-Rex fight is iconic. <laughs> but 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 Tomb Raider 2 was where they learned all their lessons and they got it absolutely perfect. True, um, true. 
and and I think they managed to sort of smooth out her tits a bit as well. So that's always <laughs> a good thing. Those games are so long as well, and and so tricky. And it, that's I think that's one thing that always surprises me. If I go back and play early games, it makes you realise how difficult games were at the time. And and you know I've been I mean I'm jumping to Nintendo, but been playing the Mario All Stars and Mario 64 was hard. And I don't remember it was. being that hard at the time. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and um, I I I um. Oh God! Way back when, when this pandemic first started, which doesn't feel like six months, it feels like six years. Um, I remember PlayStation; they released uh, a couple of free games to people as kind of like a stay home, play games kind of uh, charity thing they did. And one of them was the Uncharted collection. And the first I played, the first or tried, I should say, to play the first <laughs> Uncharted. And my God, that's a mess! But it's <laughs> I I always forget how difficult puzzle games or, or games with puzzles in, I should say were back then because today you walk around um even grand theft auto or red dead or any other game you walk around and there's always like the, the object that you're looking for either has a massive arrow over it or a gl- or glows or yep. has a, a sort of a button on it that looks bloody obvious so you know where you're going these games it's just like you've got to press a brick but we're not going to tell you what brick there are a thousand and one bricks on this screen to, to look at um, and you've got to figure it all out for yourself. And we're not giving you any clues. Um, that's why the games were so short back then. Is because you got stuck on a level for so bloody long. <laughs> and yeah, t- with with Tomb Raider, you know, there's there was no map, I don't think. So every yep. every level is a maze. You've just got yep. to run around and find your way. You get given a key, and the door opens, and it looks the same as five of the doors. So yep. how do you find that door and know where to put the key? Um, you know, it's it's tricky, and then you've got to literally press a button to to hold on to things. The number of times I've jumped and then missed it because you didn't grab. Um, oh, God, it's just silly things like that. <laughs> You'd never get that today. No, not at all. And and but but equally, I do. For as difficult as I think sort of modern games are, they they don't half hold your hand as you as you progress through them, and particularly some of the new um, the uh, Red Dead Two, and I think one of the Grand Theft Autos. Um, had a kind of skip function that if you failed three times on a mission, it, it even gave you a button that sort of said, do you want to advance to the next checkpoint? And oh, I, I hate like, that when you die five times. And it's like, yeah. are you sure you don't want easy mode? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> Can I hold your hand? Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my other selection, Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, very nice. I think for me, m- my overriding memory of PS1 was basically as a JRPG machine. And they're mm. all JRPGs that I never got to play, but a lot of my friends played, you know, not just Final Fantasy, which really grabbed me when I got to see it, but things like Grandia, Legend of Dragoon, the Xenogears and Xenogut Saga games, and all of these incredible JRPGs that, for me, really instilled this love of fantasy, even though I mm. only saw them from afar, um, and have caught up on some of them since. And it really instilled PlayStation as this this amazing new world from Japan that I just didn't get to play at the time and desperately wanted to um so that's very much my memory of playstation and it's interesting when you sort of mention that obviously there's the the one game that springs to mind i think for everybody uh is castlevania um specifically symphony of the night i think if you if anybody says cast yeah i think if anybody says castlevania the first thing that comes into your head is is an image whether you know that image is from symphony of the night or not uh is almost irrelevant um but you're right. The, the 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 JRPG elements, the expansive map, unlockable skills, uh, all that sort of stuff. The actual they actually coined the term Metroidvania from that game. Um, 
and I think, yeah, that, that was like, that's an absolutely iconic kind of PlayStation game. Yeah. Um, and what was interesting is it actually used the PlayStation's uh, architecture to uh, embrace 2D as opposed to 3D. A lot of the stuff we've been just been talking about has been playing like full 3D and they've been trying to sort of fiddle around and that was kind of like the new frontier really for PlayStation. But the uh, economy actually used um, 2D graphics um, rather than delving into that kind of trendy 3d gaming um and that in itself was just made it absolutely beautiful as well um yeah with some 3d effects and the whole the whole twist of oh now the castle's upside down (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's that's good level design exactly and i i I, that's sort of the classic stuff that you you really do miss although it's come back a little bit in some of the more recent indie stuff um but no that's metroidvania owes a lot to to castlevania absolutely Um, and, and that's my that's my list. Of course, there's other honourable mentions for PlayStation for me with Spyro, um, and and also Driver, um, which was their one attempt at trying to do uh, a Grand Theft Auto kind of um, crazy driver kind of thing of of just running around, running people over, completing driving tasks. Um, Did you get past the tutorial? I seem to remember that being a very hard tutorial. It was. It was like if you can play this, you can play the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> That was more like a sort of being dropped in the deep end with, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was a less of a tutorial, more of like a, if you can complete this, then you don't need to play the game. You're done. <laughs> the game is a breeze compared to this. <laughs> yeah. If you can do this, you'll be absolutely fine. Don't stress. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, that was just, that was my sort of, that, that was my level of driving games. Cause obviously PlayStation is also quite famous for uh, its Gran Turismo series. Um, yep. and Ridge Racer too. Yeah, exactly. And and certainly Gran Turismo, that that was not my idea of driving games. Um I'm a I'm the sort of driving need for speed, uh driver, Grand Theft Auto, stick your foot down. Like kinda of like how I drive in real life, just stick your foot down and ram through anything that's in your way. That's a um, worrying statement. <laughs> whereas I think Gran Turismo was that like hyper real we're going to go to and, and go and get five hundred cars and we're gonna have like a one of our interns sit next to the exhaust pipe with a microphone um rec- recording the exact engine noise etc uh that was always a little bit too much for me but yeah but playstation also had wipeout which is which is more yes, my kind of racing yes, game of, you know high that. speed it's it's arcadey it's not realistic it's got a great soundtrack super fast handles a little bit weird um but it has such an amazing sense of style to it um that again you know i think it was a launch game on for ps1 and it really yes instilled that that sense of cool i think they did they play that in clubs at the time as promo because of like the dance soundtrack i think think so so. because that because that was like the ultimate 90s it wasn't just the music either it was the visuals i swear i've been in places where they've actually used wipeout as visuals i swear and this is where your music background comes in i swear somebody used it as part of their music video quite possibly the sort of tunnel zooming and and bang 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 kind of lights and everything else it was like it's the it's the most 90s thing ever when you sort of stop and think about it but um no i'm sure somebody did that hmm. mm, no good game cool. excellent game yes. um finally i want to talk about the future uh we've spoken about this a lot on the podcast of late but streaming really is starting to become front and center in the games world. Um, just this week, Amazon launched their new streaming platform called Luna. Uh, Ed, what have you? What do you know about Luna? Um, what do you think about Luna? Um, let's start there. 
Um, well, it's it seems like an interesting opportunity. It seems very similar to, or it's offering very similar to other streaming platforms. It's it's this you know huge collection of games that you can stream on any device um, from anywhere, which seems a little bit too good to be true. Um, I think a few things are interesting about this. Firstly, the idea of channels. Um, I think it looks like there's an Ubisoft-specific channel um, with Ubisoft-only games. And I think, mm. you know, if there's different channels that you can subscribe to, that's a really interesting way of, I suppose, monetizing it um, and, and dividing up the types of content. Um, how expensive that's going to get. It seems to me it's almost a bit like Sky, where you have to subscribe to, you know, your sports and your movies and everything else. You know, is that going to end up being very pricey in the end, um, which is a bit of a worry. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts about that. So, I mean, it's we'll, we'll come back maybe to the sort of pros and cons of streaming in general, but we'll, we'll sort of stick about Amazon right now because it's, it's the new thing. Amazon, as you say, it, it's it's a platform that very much is is the, the rival of Google Stadia or Stadia, depending how you pronounce it. <laughs> um, and also kind of is semi-adjacent to the new Xbox, xCloud, whatever the hell they're calling that in the end, um, which is another sort of form of streaming i uh specifically with amazon it is interesting about what you say about channels and stuff it's very interesting that they've managed to tie up a deal with ubisoft um i think that's a direct sort of pushback obviously with ea teaming up with uh with microsoft for the xbox and, and, and ea play um i think it's really interesting and, and i i'm they're expecting luna plus uh which is one of their sort of variety channel uh to have over 100 games i'm not sure i'd love to know more about the sort of pricing structure i would be concerned if you had to subscribe to each channel individually uh, at cost um i find that a bit interesting um and what really has bugged me um is that they they've sort of spoken a lot about how that they they although they're going to commit to those games being available to start off with they are gonna uh, that they're not committing to them being available permanently so they, they might, in the same way with Amazon Prime, they, they might phase in and phase out some of those games, which which we'll come back to in later on. But that is kind of like the, the big one of the big issues around sort of ownership uh, with streaming. Um, but I'm just looking at the list of the games that were being available. Um, they've, they're obviously at launch, courtesy of Ubisoft. They're going to um, be able to debut Assassin's Creed Valhalla, um, which is great. That's a good sort of coup for them. Um, good stuff. Absolutely, and and similarly with uh, Watchdog Legions as well, but they've got a good selection across the the sort of the the wider one with like Iconoclasts and uh, Fury Goes to a Tale, Far Cry Six, uh, Control. There's nothing that's obviously standing out as being like an, an amazingly good thing. And what's really interesting for Amazon is that they're not actually focusing on exclusives, which is weird, considering that they Amazon have been dabbling with their their own. Uh, unique games like Crucible, which sort of came and went with a bit of a whimper and a wet fart kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think if if we learn anything from the sort of Xbox versus PlayStation, it's it's all about the games. It's all about the exclusives. Um, that's what people are buying into, and that's what the gamers TM are always wanting to know about. You know, PlayStation has specific games you can't play anywhere else. Same with Nintendo, and with this, it, there, there, there's no there's no unique selling point to this you know what why should i buy this or buy into this when all of those games i can play on for, for some of us you know consoles we already own 
So it seems like it's more for maybe casual players who are just dipping into gaming, who want to pay, you know, five ninety nine a month and just play a few favorites that the you know the rest of the world are, are already into. Um, mm. But there's nothing new for for sort of hardcore gamers to think, yep, that's a console I really want to buy into because there's nothing unique or exciting about it aside from the technology of streaming, which is obviously in itself new. Yeah, the the the, the library is is an interesting library. It's it's like somebody's. I was about to say it's a bit like Netflix, but it's not. Obviously, it's about that old Netflix where it literally was just a reservoir of old content. Um, yeah, okay, it's got some new games in it, but nothing that you wouldn't get elsewhere. And this is assuming that most people, as the gamers TM, um, are are in possession of one or more of the consoles that you'd be able to play all those games on anyway. I think it really is a subscription model in terms of being able to get your hands on those games. But equally, if you own an Xbox, help yourself to um, to Xbox, Game whatever Xbox. that one's. Thank you. Uh, and similarly with PlayStation, with with, with PS Now, um, to varying varying degrees. Um, but I no, I'm I don't know. I, I just don't know what to think about it. And I think this comes full circle back to kind of the idea about streaming as a whole. Same with Stadia. I just don't think it's. I don't think it's ready yet. I don't think it's for now. Um, I, and I don't think it's got much legs in it as it stands. What is interesting, and I think what perked your eye up, is it's because it's Amazon and Amazon owned Twitch, there is a tie-in directly to Twitch, which they haven't explained. They've just said it, there's a tie-in to Twitch. Yeah, it's sort of, it's it's an integration built in. I think it means you can jump into games that streamers you're watching are also playing um which is nice and it's mm. with it being amazon it's nice that they're actually tying their brands together um but the implications of that I, I you know i think are still a little bit unknown and i don't think that's that's reason enough to to own the console oh well, not even a console the service because you don't need a console exactly um, <laughs> exactly and um, and i'm sh- I, and as well i think google are going to be taking a strong look at that con at that controller and comparing it to some of the ones that they've been putting together for Stadia and might just complain a little bit about the fact that all they've done is put some purple on it and called it a new controller. But <laughs> but what look what let's be brutally honest, what the hell can you more can you do with a controller? Um we seem and to if have you're gonna be playing everyone else's games, you need to be able to control them the same as everyone else. Correct. And and good luck <laughs> to you playing a PlayStation game with A, B, X and Y on your buttons rather well, than don't. rather than square, <laughs> circle, triangle and what the other one is, X. Um the, the the inherent problem of all of this, I think, is that um, their advertising, the base channel, will go for five ni- $5.99 a month in early access. Um, and the Ubisoft channel is going to be available at a separate price. So there'll be seven-day trial, but you could be racking up some big costs. And you put that up against, obviously, assuming you already own your Xbox, um, you put that up against like the Xbox... Uh, game pass or or playstation and it's you i I don't know i i just don't think they figured this bit out yet and i'm concerned i think that we're basically looking at needing the the, the main issue i think with streaming is it shuts it it shuts itself down already because of the internet um you need like 35 megabit uh internet for for basic sort of streaming and I don't think we have that. Well, I certainly don't have that in this house. Um, and, I, and same with Google Stadia. There's there's always that issue too. Yeah, I think 
I think streaming on the whole, on paper, it sounds incredible. You've got access to this huge library of games, um, you know, for a small fee each month, and you can play them anywhere. It sort of sounds too good to be true. Um, potentially quite consumer-friendly, um, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we can all agree that you know, we don't necessarily have the internet to really take advantage of that. And I think we're still a few years away from this being a thing in the same way that it is for for music and for films with, mm. uh, you know, Spotify and, and Netflix and everything. But I think it's interesting to compare where we're going with gaming with those with those other forms of media. And I think it's a real double-edged sword. You know, on the one hand, like I said, it's, you know, access to all of this stuff. But I think it's... You know, there are downsides to that in terms of, I guess, if you think about something like visibility, um, you know, how do you how do you get seen on a streaming platform? We already have problems with that with Steam, um, you know, with thousands of indie games available. Um, and that's something that the music industry struggles with on, say, Spotify. Um, you know, music artists are having to sort of play an algorithm to get noticed in a playlist. Um, and, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure Netflix has similar kind of algorithms behind it. And, how is that going to impact gaming? Um, you know, wh what kind of algorithms will there be for people to be noticed? Is it going to be dominated by AAA or quadruple A now developers mm. um, rather than indie games? How do they get seen? Um, and I think it will be interesting as well in terms of how we actually consume that content. I know, you know, for me with music, for instance, if a song doesn't grab me within 20 seconds, I'm going to skip and play something else. If okay. if an album after the first couple of tracks I'm not into it, I'll just go and play something else. Um and the same with films, if you know if if it's boring, then why watch the rest of it? And how is that going to impact how we play games? You know, if if there are so many available, um, if I'm not enjoying the first level of a game, am I going to stick with it? If I pay, you know, 70 quid for a for a physical game, I'm probably going to want to play it to the end because I want to get my money's worth. If it's essentially free as part of a service I'm paying for, I'm less inclined to want to follow that through to the end because if, if I'm not enjoying it. So does that mean that we end up with very sort of front-loaded content? Um, and hey, maybe that's good game design to have a big impactful opening. But, you know, will we see less players finishing games and, and will they drop off sooner? And it's, a, you know... Maybe maybe we'll want to experiment more and think, oh, that's something new and different and it's part of the service, so I'll give it a go. And so maybe we'll be a bit more experimental with our choices, but equally, if that doesn't grab us, we'll just bounce off it really quickly. Um, so, you know, is, is this going to change the way that we actually consume and play games and how will that impact how developers make them? I, I think you made a, a thousand and one amazing points there. I, I think just picking up on one of them was the fact that I, I think this is possibly a role for where Twitch comes in. Um, I think Twitch giving people the opportunity to see some of those games be played further into the game than, as you say, just the first loading screen or the first level. Um, I, I would imagine that somebody sat there, if, you, if you're sat there watching Twitch and, you, and, and you're watching a street, your favorite streamer, playing a new game and it looks really amazing and, and you can click the button now to go and start playing that game suddenly that handoff suddenly feels like a more useful uh tool so twitch actually the streamers whether they agree to it or not i suppose uh, um would be coming more of a marketing tool um that immediately concerns me though because um the the, the game that amazon were doing called crucible um 
genuinely was pitched as kind of like the next Overwatch, that fell off a cliff. It's like they even didn't even bother advertising it. Like, they own Twitch, for God's sake. Just get every single Twitch person a code for that game and get them playing it. But I, I think there's a strategy coming for that. But Yeah. I mean, I think we've definitely seen the power this year of of Twitch streamers with stuff like Fall Guys. And, you know, Among mm. Us is the big one now that is, you know, all over Twitch. And they're brilliantly fun games, but they've definitely exploded because of Twitch streamers um, Twitch streamers playing them. And if you can watch them and say, hey, I want to have a go on that, click a button and you're immediately playing it. That is very yep. powerful. Yep. Um, but yeah, it definitely turns Twitch streamers into influencers. And maybe that's not necessarily what they want to do. Um, and will streamers be monetized for that in terms of you know advertising in inverted commas mm-hmm. um maybe that's not something that is going to fit with their with their stream and their community and the content that they like to share um you know will they get will that work like ad revenue in some way which is an interesting thought uh, it, it, absolutely and i i think these are sort of things to sort of see how it all how it all pans out what i find interesting if you put in this and google stadia up side by side what always was massive question mark for me of google stadia is you had to buy you had to pay for the service you had to buy the controller and then you still had to buy the game so at least with this one you have to buy the controller and you have to pay for the service but at least then you get the games so even even if then of course they get taken away from you and that kind of comes on to that other point around the whole streaming thing as a whole is that I mean, obviously, I joke about PlayStation now, but that some of their games are only available for a weekend. Um, but with Google and Amazon particularly, the, the number of times I've settled in uh, on Amazon Prime to watch one of my favorite films that I, I know is on Prime and it's bloody disappeared, um, then I'm sort of like, oh, God, I've got to go and find it somewhere. I've got to go and rent it or something. And it's like, how you could be... Har- are you going to be halfway through a game and you get that email into your email box that sort of says, "Oh, by the way, next month we're taking we're taking this game off." And it's like, okay, but I mean, in this model, at least you're not paying for that game. I think what always concerned me about Google Stadia is that you are actually paying for the damn game, and there's and there's a risk that somebody might just come and take that away from you because you still don't own it. I never understood that. Yeah, that's always been very confusing. I th- I think as well, how do they decide how to take those games off? You know, you're right, if you're halfway through it playing it, that's incredibly frustrating. If, as we were just saying, you know, maybe loads of people are bouncing off a game because it's not doing very well, does that mean that they will say, do you know what, we'll get rid of this because it's not doing very well? Or mm-hmm. will, will they keep it up in, in the hope that people play it? Um, you know, how, how do you decide what comes and goes on that kind of service? Um, I think in terms of owning games, you know, Maybe the value of music has dropped now because people don't own music as much. But at the same time, you know, vinyl has definitely increased. Um, maybe less so with films in terms of DVDs and Blu-rays. But I think there will still be room for collector's editions and physical copies and things like that. But also, you know, thinking um, environmentally as well. It means we don't have all these bits of plastic yeah, everywhere. And actually, you can have one little device with everything on there. And it's it's very easy, very consumer friendly. Um, and in some ways, for me anyway, that kind of outweighs having to stand up and put a disc in because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I can just switch games and it's nice and easy. And and soon we can get it onto gesture control so you don't even have to press buttons. You can just wave your arms and a new game comes on. Um, <laughs> you're right. I, I know a lot of people that would be uh, disagreeing with that because I think a lot of people still out there exist as, as collectors and whatever else. But... I do think 
from an environmental point of view at the future is digital um however i i do and I, again this is again probably the difference i've always been concerned about ownership of digital things um whereas the amazon service it doesn't actually look like you're buying any of those games so i get that i think that's possibly where they've got this right as opposed to the xbox model or the not the xbox model the uh, stadia model particularly which is still having to buy the game um yes. even though it's not your game and you'll never see it um yeah and and of course the last thing i suppose we need to talk about is uh whereabouts you can actually play it um the idea i think is this meant if this is meant to be multi-platform um i think uh so yes. they're going to bump into the problems that xbox are currently bumping into which is it's not going to be multi-platform it's going to be platforms that are non-apple um because apple are being relatively sort of sensible in terms of like they want xbox to use their system please they don't want xbox to bring their own system that they have to implement they want it to be on amazon on apple arcade um so that could be an interesting debate because we all know that Apple loves Amazon. <laughs> yes. I mean, from what I can see, it looks like it's you can stream titles to PC, Mac, and iOS, although that says brackets via the web. So does that mean ah. essentially you're just <laughs> streaming yes. on a PC rather than playing on Steam or whatever else, essentially? Yes, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel that's just web browsing. So it, it's interesting that there's going to be happy for you to do it through the web. Um, that's interesting. That's rather than having to actually download. But then that also means you can't just you can't just take it anywhere and play it on your phone or your iPad. You know, out and about, you are still tied to yeah. a screen. Uh, you know, a physical screen on PC. Mm. Well, physical screen. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. What would be really interesting from a sort of streaming point of view, I think, is that if you mentioned obviously indie games and stuff, I. I to this day, okay, I'm. I think everyone knows by now. I'm not a PC gamer. Um, however, we all know that Steam is like the home of LGBT indie games. So why can't we have like a stream, a uh, Steam streaming service? Wow, there's too many eems in that. But <laughs> if if Steam ever got their act together and came out with a streaming service, they would make a killing. Yeah, I mean, you'll have to ask Valve for that. I think that's, hey, maybe that's in the works, or maybe we're just getting the Half-Life sequel everyone wants. Um, well, they screwed that they screwed up trying to do the they screwed up trying to do a console, didn't they? So I'm not holding my breath on that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they got burned. But mm. yeah, I mean, if if anyone could do it on PC and make it work, you'd think it would be Valve. Um, yeah. Whether they are or not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But hey, m maybe there's also too much competition with all these companies trying to jump in. How, you know, and, and if they're all offering all the same games anywhere on different devices, how are we as consumers meant to choose between them and decide which one we want to go for? And actually, does that just mean people will say, screw it, I'm just going to buy a PlayStation because at least I know I'm getting exclusive games, I've got my console and I know what I'm getting from that rather than some airy fairy kind of you know platform in the sky somewhere and i don't really understand what i'm getting out of that yeah i i think uh i think more ep more messaging is needed um and, and i do think that the idea that they they need to have exclusives that that's if if they need to if they want to compete they've got to have exclusives and they've got to have exclusives that people want to play 
the Steam, the, the, obviously the exclusive of Steam is the fact that they have all of their content and all of those amazing indie games. That would be their exclusive. That would make sense. But I, I think that you're right. For, for, for Stadia and for Amazon, which, which do necessitate you to have a controller, which do necessitate you to be sort of tied to a monitor somewhere, there is no difference. Where is the difference between a PlayStation, Xbox and all the rest? It's just another way of consuming games. And I don't really see why people would do that right now. Um, plus, of course, there's the technological uh, issues around just not... The, the, I don't think there's a, a population of people that have the right internet yet. Um, yeah. But let's see how it all pans out. Um, I think it's going to be the future. I, I do. I, I think digital is the way forward i think you're right i think uh i think we are moving away from a world where we have a massive sort of 10 bookshelves full of dvds and full of games concert uh, games cases and everything else what's interesting of course is that we've got to wait and see and, and one of the big things of course is the fact that they've got um is the pricing models they need to figure out um obviously the amazon service that doesn't have pricing which is always if it's a good thing um but if you're buying stuff digitally then that's very difficult then to either get resale on that or to or to uh get it cheap in a bargain bin in a garage yeah exactly and that's why i mean next gen consoles do you go physical or digital and and is digital actually more expensive in the long run because you're reliant on all these digital you know storefronts that are very high in price rather than just going for the bargain bin I agree. I agree. Um, it will be interesting to see how all this crinkles out. Um, that's the end of our episode. Uh, a big thank you to my guest, Ed, um, and an even bigger thank you to you all for listening. Uh, we're going to be back in two weeks with our next episode, but in the meantime, keep up with all the LGBTQ video gaming stories on Gaming Magazine. And be sure to drop us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you don't miss any of these amazing stories. We are at Gaming Mag. Uh, thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me, Robin. It's been great. Cool. And take care, everyone. See you soon and goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye.